hamster with a blunt penknife would do it quicker. Welcome back to A Hamster with a Blunt Penknife, the Doctor Who commentary podcast. I'm extremely excited today to be with actual living royalty. In the yeah, that you can look away in the form of Greg. Say hello, Greg. Hello, everybody. Why are, why are you royalty, Greg? Tell me. I don't know. Why am I royalty? Okay, because you're my... Okay, so um, I'm going to add a little bit of context. Uh, around the um, podcast, Fly for Entirety, there is oh. a uh, a group meeting that happens... What is it once a month? Uh, once a month, yes. Uh, <clears throat> and there's a virtual one and there's an in-person one. And so I was twice a month. Thank one, you. One each a month. I was invited to the virtual version, and look, you are the king of those meets, Greg. This is why you Ooh. are royalty. Oh yes, everyone thinks okay. you're marvelous, <laughs> and so do I. Marvelous. Um, Thank you very much, Greg. Have you podcasted before? No. It, it's a, a shocking oversight because you clearly have a lot to say. <laughs> not based on what I've said so far. What are we talking about today? Today we're talking about Spearhead from Space, one of the most important Doctor Who stories, because it's the first uh, of the John Pertwee era. Um, it's changing the format of the show. No longer are we rattling around in time and space in a blue box. Um, we're stuck on Earth working for a government military organisation um, with a fantastic new companion or assistant, Liz Shaw. Although, of course, she is more of an equal to the Doctor than the, her predecessors, other than perhaps Barbara. Um, Liz is uh, a scientist with... Uh, Sounds like 14 degrees from the description yeah. that's given when when she is introduced, is talked to by the Brigadier. Uh, unit is back. Unit previously appeared. Uh, I looked and it was over a year ago. Mm. It's been a year's break between the invasion and Spearhead from Space. Um, and so we have a new style of adventure. Alien invasions are nothing new. Um, but... In the previous stories, the Doctor arrived on the planet and got involved. Now he's there, usually, when they start. So um, it's how old quite we, different. How old were you when you first saw this? Uh, this was broadcast in Australia in 1971, about 18 months after it was broadcast in England. I had looked that up. Um, yeah. I was nine, and shortly after it finished, I turned 10. Um, and in addition to that, in between me turning 10 and the finish of the show, my younger sister was born. Um, oh. So she's, she's from 1970. Not like Sarah Jane Smith is from 1980. No. My sister's from 1970. Um, and, um, and how did you find Series 7 at the time as, a, as an impressionable uh, nine-year-old? I loved it. Um, I had been watching for a couple of years before my first story was tomb of the cybermen oh wow which by the way all those people are sitting there thinking oh did you see the abominable snowman yes i did <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Bastard>. <laughs> and it was a great story i have to tell you if they ever get away to 
record things from people's brains. Mm. I will offer up the abominable snowmen um, for other people's enjoyment. It's a great story. Oh, does that mean um, does that mean the space pirates is in there as well? I do not remember the space pirates. <laughs> There's a few stories I don't remember. The space pirates is one of them. Um, Enemy of the world is another. Oh, well, you don't need to remember that one anymore. No, it's being found. Um, I don't recall watching Fury from the Deep or The Wheel in Space. Oh, shame. But but the Abominable Snowman's there. And the Ice Warriors and um, the Web of Fear. Oh, amazing. Oh, uh, my God, to be watching those at like... To be watching those at seven years old, man. Oh, yeah, it was it was fantastic. And But I was getting older and... Um, while I love the entire 10 episodes of the war games, I love long stories um, that are properly plotted, not ones that have lots of padding. Um, the, the end with the doctors, people, and being forced to change his face again, which I didn't know happened because I didn't see any William Harper stories. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole idea that we're going something with there, there would be a different doctor and they'd be new circumstances and on it was being of course broadcast in color except that color hadn't started in australia yet so it was black and white when i saw it um, that would make it even and, scarier i swear oh i think so i think so um and the new format um Hi. doctor who had basically played this format a few times the war machine is like a prototype of this where the doctor has contacts on earth um and deals with things from that perspective then the web of fear the invasion where unit was introduced the brigadier came in on the in the uh web of fear and there now he's back as a regular no. i think um you know it's a, a reformatting uh crater mass would be probably seen as a template for this for sure um, yeah absolutely and Another very popular show at the time was The Avengers, which had a male and a female lead who were not the same as each other, but complement each other and work together very well, which is where, where I think they're going with uh, Doctor and Liz Shaw. Well, on that note, should we skip into episode one? Certainly. I will count us in then in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Oh, blimey, that's a bit loud, my end. Hang on. There we go. So that that is potentially the most colourful title sequence you're ever going to see. And it was brand new from the Trapping ones. It was, yeah. See, I've always heard a lot of backstory about the, uh, you know, the season 11 title sequence and, and the hard work that went into that. I've never really heard any behind the scenes about this one. No. No, and I think they were doing pretty much the same as they had done before with the Howl Around, but um, as they called it. Um, but I'm not really sure much about it. This is literally how Rose opens, isn't it? With a zoom in on Earth. And um, amazingly, uh, it's the return of the Doctor in a new season with a new companion, oh. new setup, and a new Doctor. The same monsters. And the same the monsters. Same monsters. Yeah. <laughs> as, this, as this story. Do you, oh, do you yeah, think yeah. um do you think the show would have a very different feel if the whole thing was shot on film like this? Uh I'm 
not one of these people who are terribly fascinated by film versus video. I hardly know it because I focus on the story. Okay. But this certainly does look good. Although this lady's wig <laughs> does not look good. No, wig watch. You can do a lot of that in the 70s. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's just on crooked. Um, and again, uh, it's special effects at the time. Uh, be much better these days with proper CGI, but you know, does its job. I think um, the, the, with this story, with this season, there's very little um, like knowing wings to the audience. It's all played really straight, isn't it? And look at Sam Seeley. Oh, I can, can you translate him for me, please? Because I can never understand what he's saying. Ah, uh, he doesn't have much to say at the moment, actually. With them thunderballs. Thunderballs, don't they? Oh, bang! Now, this coming up, uh, not just yet. Later, mm-hmm. I'll come back to that later. But back to look, her wigs on better now. They probably realised. You know who's the who's the worst yokel? Pigping Joss from Lords yes. of Axos. This scene here. Um, there's a old science fiction movie called The Blob, which was Steve McQueen's debut. Uh-huh. And a meteorite comes down, crashes the ground, and some guy goes in and he digs away at it. Um, and in that movie, the, the meteor cracks open and a blob comes crawling out and sets about trying to eat everything in the world. Oh, wow. Um, is, it, is that a B movie or just a regular movie? Oh, definitely. Movie? Okay. <laughs> it sounds <laughs> like a B movie. Uh, but... You know, it was it was made on the cheap, um, but it's not a bad movie. Um, had a sequel, got remade. But we're not doing a horror podcast, though. So. Oh, well, I, I mean, there's plenty the of there's plenty of horror in this, so What well, it's oh, weird, yeah. isn't it? That skips from a model shot to live action, doesn't it? Very quickly. Yep. Very quickly, very smoothly. And oh, there's lovely news. Here she comes. Now, Liz Shaw, I rank above among the best Doctor Who companions. Why is that? Uh, ah, I like smart women, basically. Oh, gosh, um, me too. So, and Carrie John um, is quite a good actress. She got favourable reviews when she uh, filled in for Maggie Smith against Sir Laurence Olivier. Wow. Uh, but she came to work in television. And um, you may not know this, she was not asked back for the next season and she had a very strong view that she hadn't done a good job in the show. Really? Mm. Surely there was, she because I know she went to some conventions, so surely it's later in her conventions life. That, they, yeah. that she actually discovered that people liked her character and they liked her. Which, to be honest, I I don't hear anyone saying a bad word about Liz Shaw. I, I she like 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 Barbara, like Sarah, and kind of like Donna. So these are all like kind of older women. People generally have a really positive consensus. Yeah. Oh, here we are. Oh, Nicholas Cole. That degree in twelve and twelve others, or about twelve others, whatever the actual line is. Um. She's not and, impressed, though. She isn't impressed, is she, okay. about any of this? No, she's not impressed. In fact, if you watch her, um, she's not impressed with the Brigadier, especially because he's the one who's shanghai her. Um, and so she'll later on play up to the Doctor. She'll play up to General Scobie. 
Um, oh, that bit's but, brilliant. <laughs> where she it says, is, "It is." Um, where she's giving a compliment and the brigadier says she's not just a pretty face and then she looks all offended. <laughs> yeah. He was enjoying not being just a pretty face. I was being just a pretty face. Thank you very much. So are we supposed to assume that she was you know, doing important work at the university and unit soldiers just turned up and walked her out? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I guess she was um, prescript, uh, uh, enlisted. Mm. Uh, did you hear, so Car- uh, I, I listened to an uh, interview with Caroline John, and apparently in order to get work in television, she uh, had to have very kind of uh, cheeky publicity pictures taken of herself, and she sent yeah. them out, and then immediately she started getting work. That tells you something about what was going wrong with making television at the time. And uh, here's the doctor getting into the hospital. Um this is a real hospital, as I'm sure you know. Mm. Um, I love the wood. Hospital. I love the wood panels. I do love yes. the wood panels. Uh, the is trying to convince Liz that this is a worthwhile job. I understand mm-hmm. that um, Nicholas Courtney and Caroline John became great friends. Um, and they, so they, they do the commentary. Outside. They do the commentary on on Spearhead from Space. Yes, they do. There's much discussion about false eyelashes and (laughs) false mustaches. But but there's clearly like a very gentle chemistry between the two of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, He wasn't the new boy, but he had been brought back in in a way that he probably hadn't expected. And um, she's delighted to get this job. So it's... um, do you think Liz would have worked in the second series, though, like given where Barry Letts was taking the show? Not the same way. Mm. Not the same way. Um, because they wanted a more traditional companion, a, what's this doctor? Yeah. As opposed to um, the doctor gives half an explanation and Liz says, yes, yes, that's obvious, <laughs> or that, something. So that, that was an amazing um, companion impression then. You got the job, all right? Yes. I also have to say... Um, this man, Jimmy Munro, I think his name is. Uh-huh. Captain Munro. He's um absolutely like the most boring of the unit captains. <laughs> um, I miss the fellow. Do you remember the fellow from in, the invasion? He was really cute. I can't remember his name now. I think his name was Jimmy as well, wasn't it? It may very well be. They're all called Jimmy. Certainly <laughs> those. So Jimmy may actually be the guy from the invasion. I've just got his name and his surname together, but um, this guy's pretty so, um, un- unmemorable, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's he's just a beige sort of. He's got a beige uniform to match his beige personality. Um, this scene with the two hearts, yeah, this plays out yeah, yeah. exactly the same in the TV movie. But this is. The first time it's happened prior to this, um, there was no hints that the doctor had an alien um, physique, uh, physique, physiology. Uh, like in the wheel in space, Jamie and the doctor both thoroughly examine and they make no comment. Uh, there's plenty of other people <laughs> in the future. What have you running around? But no, it seems not. They tried to say in the Doctor Who novels that, you know, um, time will start out with one heart, and when they regenerated the first time, they got two, but didn't seem to work for Patrick. Do you see this fella in the background here hoovering? I swear yes. I've seen him down a Welsh mine somewhere, you know. 
you probably have. Um, <coughs> he's uh, a very good bit part player. Mm. Um, I'm not sure how well he'd go um, in a lead role, but he's certainly full of full of character. He's come, he rises to the occasion and does a great job. And Calfrin the Teeth, I can't think of his surname. Is it Talfrin Thomas? Talfrin Thomas. Yeah. His nickname is The Teeth because you've seen him and you'll see them again and again. Uh, and here we are. Robert Holmes doesn't have a great degree of love for authority. And so we've seen doctors arguing with doctors about whether someone's playing a prank or not. So um, quite good. And he, he always goes. pokes fun at bureaucracy as well, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. Like red, yeah, people, red tapers, yeah. Yes. And he he comes to make the fatal phone call. Well, not quite fatal. I think on the back um, of like because this looks so different. I, yes. I wonder. I just like on the back of the last Trout season, people must have been like, "What is this?" You know, like. Yeah, yeah. Very different case. Um, you haven't even seen the doctor no. apart from falling out of the TARDIS. And we're about halfway through. Uh, <laughs> and just I'm looking at the way that his mouth always seems to be so crooked when he's speaking. That's why he's a great character actor. Did you ever read the, the, um, the Terrence Dix novelization of this, the, um, the Target book? Uh, yes, I did. I read it when it came out. Did I say that? Um, it was released with um, the Cave Monsters uh -huh. and the reprint of the three Hartnell ones, uh, which I got for Christmas one year. And here it is. The glowing orb of death. The, yes. And, oh, <laughs> oh, soldiers. You see where he is right now, this sort of uh, very leafy English countryside. This is, yes. I, I, I love exploring areas. I've got lots of areas like this where I live. Excellent. You don't have any unit soldiers there. Oh, it'd be nice though. It, it, Depending on which ones. Doesn't hurt the view. I figured Sam. that Sam Seeley was dead quick when I first watched this. I thought this guy's in trouble. Yeah. Um, well, if he'd been in the blob, he'd be in trouble. Oh, and now some very exciting foot acting. <laughs> Unhand me, madam. <laughs> The trouble is, though, right, is I think a lot of people would have thought on the back of John Pertwee's previous like well, work that he would have been all about this, all comedy. And it's not the yeah, case yeah. at all, is it? No. <clears throat> he was principally a comedic actor, and I know that uh, you've discussed this with other people, with other comedic actors being brought in, and, of course, they have excellent timing to make the jokes work properly, and all they need is a bit of uh, decent emotional acting, and we fantastic. Yeah. Oh my word, uh, Channing, the villain. That man has got the perfect face to be a villain. So, Greg, Prentice Hancock. Yes, Prentice Hancock, who you'll see in there in the crowd, um, is making his first appearance in Doctor Who. First of a number. Um, not one of my favourite actors. He always seems very cross about the world and yeah. quite stiff. <laughs> Um, but nevertheless, he does a job, and in this one, it's a quite a good job. In the background, you can also see Hugh Burden, who plays Channing. Terrifying. In, in my view, Channing 
had he been a megalomaniac, there he is, uh, could have been one of the greatest Doctor Who villains ever, up there with Mavic Chen um, and the other big emoters. But because he's uh, very staid and restrained, he just remains very menacing. Did you I see? I don't recall him um, back in Doctor Who again, but he's a great actor. That tracking shot there through the hospital, and there was yeah. all this activity going on left and right as the camera sort of came back through that corridor. That's some pretty yeah. good direction. Yes, it is a well-directed story. Um, and they were doing it with less control over the environment than usual. So it's fantastic. What was Derek Martinus's previous? Uh, what else did he do? I think this was his last last one. But he started back in the Hartnell era. Did he do the War Machines? Maybe. Yeah. No, that was Michael Ferguson, wasn't it? <clears throat> oh, I should have done my anyway. research. Here's the Brigadier meeting the new Doctor um, and being amazingly disappointed because it's not who he thought it was. Um, Liz just thinks he's a bit crazy by the looks. Yeah. Um, but um, this scene is a bit reminiscent of the previous generation story, Power of the Daleks, where uh, Ben Jackson also uh, someone uh, in the uniform, uh, doesn't believe that this new person is the Doctor and requires some convincing throughout the rest of the story. We don't have a poly equivalent, but um, the the the, um, the interesting thing is here is they deal with it in this first episode, but then from episode two, it's pretty much taken as a given that he is the Doctor. Oh, yeah. it's, whereas in Power of the Daleks, I don't think we're supposed to be that convinced until the end no, of the story. And, the Power of the Dark is, of course, seven episodes, and um, both Michael Craze and Annika Wills have holidays during it. Oh, I... So, uh, uh, <clears throat> strange but... story for the companions to have a holiday on, isn't it? The first one of a new correct. Um, but I'm not sure how well planned ahead Hartnell's departure was, yeah. was for medical reasons. So, they may the holidays may have been pre-planned, and things may have been pre-booked. Oh, and here's the famous, oh, I don't like how I look, seeing that we'll get pretty much every regeneration from now on. So if you if you caught Pertwee at nine years old, you so you watched the entire run of Pertwee, yeah, when yeah. you were a young man. And so how I'm assuming you know, there was a point where he was just the only doctor. Well, I still remember Patrick Trafton. Um, and, of course, we were reminded with the three doctors. Um, but, yeah, he... he it was five years of Pertwee um, and five glorious years, I have to say, um, they don't always bear looking back on for being uh, sound stories in terms of their politics, um, but um, they, they explored, uh, they were more inventive than during the Trouton period in terms of yeah. the types of stories that they did. Uh, almost as crap with the costumes as the Trouton <laughs> for the monsters. De definitely. Um, and mysteriously, the Doctor has a gold chain. I'm not sure what that's about. Mysteriously, uh, Greg, in the shower scene, it was revealed that oh, he has a yes, tattoo. Not to mention, you, we get to see uh, John Pertwee's tan line. It, well, he's probably just come back from his house in Ibiza. So. Yes, he's an Ibiza, don't you know? 
I do like all this though with the, with the press and uh, yeah. bustle in the hospital. And here's another great thing with um, chatting in the closet. I mean the telephone booth. Um, <laughs> you look at that and you go, he must be on the, that want to interrupt him, and lo and behold, he's not on the phone at all. Um, and standing there looking into the distance, um, we don't know much about this guy yet. Are they deliberately? Than, um, he didn't spend enough time in makeup. Are they deliberately trying to make his face look a bit artificial? Because it does. Yes, there was there was a bit of bit of Vaseline on his face to make it slightly shinier. Oh, here we go. You fancy buying a rabbit or two? And he's trying to get information about if he can make some more money because he's a bit of a wheeler dealer, our Sam. Tara sticks on the commentary. He, he starts doing an impression of him and he's like, you know, uh -huh. I, I script edited this and I haven't got a clue what he's saying. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and he's, he's being extremely arch about it as though he thinks he's clever and he's not that clever. Um, not the way he goes about <laughs> things. I love his um, acerbic relationship with his wife. Oh, yes, it's, it's fantastic. I don't think we see Meg this season <clears> yet, this episode yet. Meg Seeley, um, possibly the strongest woman in Doctor Who. When faced I with heard, danger, she grabs a shotgun. I heard in some low-rent <clears> podcast, <throat> someone suggested that she's the precursor of uh, Jackie Tyler. Oh, wow. I think I know which podcast you're talking about. <laughs> I think you might do, and you might know the, the uh, ill-educated person who said that. Uh, oh, this bit uh, here, where he's like, shoes. Shoes, yes. So we've had all the coherent dialogue we get from the Doctor in this story, no, this episode, rather. <laughs> shoes. But John Perwey is fairly like in retrospect fairly scathing about this first episode he's like you know there's all these comedy routines with a wheelchair and 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 yeah. he didn't want to lean into that at all no um but again the wheelchair while it's a bit of a comedy the actual second part of it where he's going down a fairly it's not that steep a slope but he's going at a fair pace um it does become threatening um and I believe that they were keen on John's background in comedy as a potential source for uh, making the stories a bit more interesting. The same way as Patrick Tratton also used his comedic skills. Do you imagine then if, if Sherwin had stayed on and Barry Letts hadn't had taken over, that they, he would have been a more comedic doctor? Perhaps. But I think what we actually have here is the most um pure form of what they thought doctor who would be after the new format because we do have sherwin as the producer even though he had been descriptive as it before yeah. uh when bryant left he got shifted up to, to producer oh, and this is the only story he produced in the poetry area now we have more shiny skinned people that was did you see the um the blanket being thrown over the camera that's such a clever way of showing what's going on it is yeah. a very inventive direction in this. Oh, it's it is very good. Um, again, there's um, not much money. They're just stuck with uh, what they've got in the hospital, and we get to see this corridor all the time. So yeah. we certainly have a sense of place. <laughs> oh, Greg, the music in this scene is like da 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 da. It's really funny. 
And look how skinny Bertwee is in this story. Yeah. And his hair, no, I'm, I'm going to say it. As Terence Dix always says, you can always tell where you are in the Pertwee era by the level of his Buffon haircut. Yes. And it is very restrained very here. And so off we go. And I mean, I mean, this is a lot of the there's a lot of bustle going on. There's, there's, this is a busy episode. Yes, um, and it's mostly humans interacting with humans. Yeah. Um, the Channing and his uh, henchmen don't do much. Um, the doctor's mostly unconscious, and now he's escaped. But okay, so I uh, whilst this is a very good cliffhanger, I think the editing here is off. Yeah, because the guy just screaming, you know, who told you to fire you? It just feels a bit awkward. Like it's it's good as in the doctor's been shot, so that's effective. I don't know if, if that's well well done or not. Yeah, so here we are at the end of episode one, um, and it was a good episode. Was, Calvin Thomas. Yeah, that, his name just then. Well, you've got something very interesting to say. Now, well, let's save it for episode two, but yes. about episode two and episode ones. Yeah. Um, but if, like on its own terms, that is almost like the default. This is what they go back to. This is what they lean into when they are like a bit stuck. They do a, a bit of this in the TV movie, I think. Indeed. They do a this, bit of this, this in very Rose. Much like a TV movie. Lots of running around. And like the whole thing fire. about the mystery of the Doctor, which is big in this, they do. That's definitely Rose, isn't it? That's definitely the TV movie. Yes. Yeah, Rose was very good in taking it from one person's perspective, um, not the Doctor's. You can absolutely see why they invited uh, Terrence Dix and Barry Letts along to that screening of Rose, can't you? They'd be like, "Hey, this, oh, is, yes. this is our story. What's going on?" <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, Derek. We'll be back right. for episode two.